0: good morning church it's good to see you thank you participants for that beautiful service so far it's been a good sabbath Um, hope that uh, today you'll be blessed as you leave after the sermon Uh, this month we're talking about stewardship the sermon today will seem like it's nothing to do with stewardship until the very end so just hang on in there um but uh, I want to see more smiles from you guys as we, as we go throughout the service. Because it's, it's, we have a lot to smile about. But I've been thinking that maybe you guys haven't been smiling a lot and it's been my fault. And I figured out why. I know what the reason is. It's because you guys have had a scalding pastor from the pulpit. You see, when I don't have glasses, sometimes I have to squint to look. And when I squint, it kind of looks like I'm angry at you or something. So I've been <laughs> preaching angry for the last two years. And then finally, I was blessed. We have a wonderful church member, Marsha Brannon, who provided these glasses uh, through her skills. And now I could see. <laughs> so I expect more smiles because I'm not looking angrily down upon you. Well, it's good to be here. Today our sermon is entitled, Touching the Master. Touching the Master. Let's begin with a word of prayer and let's get into our message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here to worship you. Help us to get to know you and more about you as we leave this church today. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Our text, our verse, our story to begin today is found in the book of Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 and 13. Very short story, but very powerful story in the New Testament. I love the book of Luke and Mark because they're really short, packed stories with a lot of lessons to learn. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. I'm hearing the beautiful sound of the pages turning your Bible. Luke chapter 5. In verse 12 to 13, it's the story of Jesus cleansing a leper. This is what the Bible says in verse 12 of Luke chapter 5. And it happened when he was, a, when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing You can make me clean. Now catch this part. Then he put out his hand, being Jesus, not the leper, Jesus put out his hand and he did what? He touched him and saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. He touched him. That word kept ringing in my ear. They touched him. He touched them, And the more I thought about it, the more powerful it becomes every single day that I think about it. Touch is so important, isn't it? We're learning that a squeeze of a hand, a big bear hug, a massage, any type of touch is shaping up to be a powerful mind and body medicine. Did you know that touch lowers blood pressure? Mm. Did you know that touch lowers your heart rate? Did you know that touch increases your immune system and touch even relieves pain? How many of you have ever gotten a, a massage before? Anybody gotten in a massage before? You know whether it's a quick one at the airport, you know, they provide the shoulder massages or at the mall. It's really nice because as soon as you come out of that massage, you feel like your muscles are unclenched. You feel like your heart rate is lower. Your blood blood pressure has fallen. Your stress level, your hormone stress level, cortisol, has dropped. And guess what happens when your cortisol hormone drops? Your immune system gets stronger. Do we need that? During this winter, do we need stronger immune systems? And so it's wonderful to feel touch. In fact, hugs go even further. Hugs release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. It makes people feel secure and trusting toward each other and reduce stress. Another wonderful touch is is holding hands with someone you care about. It drops your blood pressure and eases your pain. And even touching your dog helps you to relax as well. So I believe in all these things. I believe in in boosting my church's immune system. I I believe in lowering my church's blood pressure. I believe in all these things. I'm going to help you today. I'm going to help you today. Can I help you today? I'm going to ask you if you're sitting to someone who is is special to you, someone who is close to you and is right next to you, would you go ahead and grab their hand at this moment? Would you just do this with them? Now, don't grab someone you wish to be special, okay, because they might not know, okay? (laughs) Grab someone you know is, you know, you're married, you're in a relationship, something, all right? Go go ahead and, and, and grab and grab their hand, okay? <laughs> Whatever you're comfortable, all right? You got the hand? All right. Take a deep breath. Feel the feel the immune system increase. Feel the blood pressure. Well some of you your heart started racing, you grab the wrong person's hand. Okay. <laughs> let's let's try this again. Let's try something different because the flu, the flu is going around, the flu is, is hurting us and we need, we need to boost our immune system. And so maybe, maybe this is a little bit more appropriate, maybe less appropriate. Why don't you, if you feel comfortable, why don't you either give a hug or you know, a half hug or maybe a, a guy you know, bounce, give someone a hug next to you and, and let them feel that hug, let the, those bonding hormones come through your body. All right, all right. I see some of these young men really are, that's, that's long enough, let him go, please. <laughs> yes. Isn't, isn't touch so important, friends? What does the Bible say? The Bible said that that leopard came to Jesus and Jesus did what to him? He, he touched that stressed man. He touched that man. And lack of touch, lack of touch leads to a lot of problems, doesn't it? I was reading about a, Roman di- a Romanian dictator in the 96, 1960s. How many of you love history? A Roman dictator by the name of Nicolae Cecescu. Has anybody heard of that man? Some of you have heard. He was a Romanian dictator in 1960, and he thought that the way to get Romania to move forward was to increase its industrial capacity. In other words, its factories and all those things. But the problem that he had was that his country, he thought, didn't have enough people. So he needed to have more people in his country to have an industrial revolution. So in order to increase the population of Romania, this dictator issued Decree 770. That doesn't sound good, doesn't it? What was Decree 770? He banned contraceptives. He raised the minimum number of children that women are to have to five. Five. So if you lived in Romania during that time, it was law, women, that you had at least how many children? Five. children, wow. In fact, it was for all women up to the age of 45 years old. He increased, he had a 30% increase in income tax on childless men and women. So what do you think happened in Romania? <laughs> The birth rate rose 13% in just one year, and the infant population doubled. But friends, the results were, were pretty tragic, were pretty sad, because there were thousands and thousands of children from the age of one to three. The parents just couldn't take care of them, couldn't afford, couldn't raise them. And so this dictator built these huge institutions. He called them cradles of the country. And there they, they took all these children, this overpopulation of babies, and, and they hired one person to watch every 25 children, little babies. And what can one person do? Mothers, we have, my, my wife has a hard enough time with two little ones, right? It's a full-time job. And so what happened to those children? They would just lay around without touch, without being held, without being rubbed without being caressed, without being breastfed, without anything. And that Roman, the the Romanian dictator finally fell. His government did not succeed with those policies. And all of a sudden, the newspapers and the television crews entered into this country, and they discovered these places. And when they went in to look at these children, they found thousands of children who were mute. They couldn't speak. Thousands of children with blank facial expressions, with no emotions. They were socially withdrawn, and they had bizarre movements for infants. Friends, touch is so important, isn't it? As you've held someone with their hands, as someone has hugged you today, as Jesus touched that leopard, their effects of touch is so important. But what happened to this leopard? Let me paint to you the picture of the experience of a leopard in ancient Israel. Numbers chapter 5 verse 2 to 3 tells us what had to happen to a leopard. Numbers chapter 5 verse 2 to 3 says, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper. Everyone who has a discharge, whoever becomes defiled by a corpse, you shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside of the camp. Can you imagine a man, just imagine a man in your mind in ancient Israel. He's in his mid-30s, right? He just started out in life. He has a beautiful wife and he has two little children you know sometimes he argues with his wife but but they work things out he has a good job and in fact he owns his own piece of land where he started to build his own house him and his wife have talked the other night and they think that in about five or six years they're going to be able to build that home and finish it one day he comes home from work and he shows his wife a, a small sore right here on on the palm of his hand he tells her that maybe he's been using that, that tool too much, you know. Maybe he's been having that tool rub him in his hand too much. It's not really painful, but it, but it keeps him from working on his house that night. He takes it easy for a couple of days, but the sword just keeps getting larger and larger and larger. But the interesting thing, or, or maybe not so interesting, maybe scary, is that the sword doesn't hurt. He doesn't feel anything. So after a few days, they both get alarmed. And you know how wives are. Husbands never want to go see anybody, right? Finally, the wife insists, you got to go see someone. So he goes, and he doesn't go to a doctor, but there's a man in his village that is trained in skin diseases. And he looks at the man, he he looks at some of his scrolls and tries to figure out what it is. But he says, you know, I'm having a hard time determining what you have. Why don't you just stay with me for two weeks? Let's observe what's going on with you. So he stays for two weeks. And after two weeks, the sore has gotten bigger and bigger until it covers His whole hand. It's become white around the edges. But it still doesn't cause much pain. But it sure does look horrible. And at the end of two weeks, the man with medical training says to the young man with a sore in his hand, you need to go see the priest. You need to go see the priest because I have figured out what you have. I am so sorry to inform you. You have. You have. What? Leprosy. He's in a daze. I mean, he's in denial. The priest has seen many cases of leprosy. So, you know, maybe in his denial he thinks, well, well, maybe the priest knows more than this man. And he'll tell me that I really don't have leprosy. Maybe it's something that will go away soon. And so he shows up to the priest. The priest examines him. And the priest quickly says, you are going to have to leave your wife your children, your land, your home, your job, and you have to go off living with lepers outside of town. Hearing this, the man is terrified. It's a death sentence. But the process of dying by leprosy is worse than dying itself because in most cases, the body of the person just rots to pieces while they continue to live. But this is not what terrifies the man. What he is afraid of is not dying. He's afraid of the process leading up to it. He's afraid of being separated from his family. He's afraid of being alone and isolated. And so although the physical ravages are terrible, the mental and emotional damages are even worse. Do you know what were the ancient laws in Israel, if you were a leper, whenever someone drew near, you had, to clear, you had to shout out, unclean. Unclean. You had to be at least six to 10 feet away from them, but if the wind was blowing in, in their direction from you, they had to be 50 to 100 feet. You couldn't get close to anyone. You were completely isolated, no touch, no caress no hugs. He desperately wants to tell his loved ones goodbye. His disease is only on his hand, it hasn't spread too bad. So he asks, can I go home and tell them goodbye? Let me give my wife one last kiss. But the priest says, I'm sorry. You can never ever go home. You can never hold your wife's arm again. You can never wrestle with your son again. You can never kiss your little girl goodnight again. If you see them and touch them, they might get leprosy themselves. If you love them, you will never, ever go near them again. So the man goes off alone to rot, to die. He couldn't even have an animal for a companion because if he petted the head of a dog, that dog had to be killed so it did not carry the disease back into the city. The man was truly living a horrible life. His family would come and bring food to him every day, but he couldn't get close and they couldn't keep close. They would leave the food next to a rock and he would pick it up and eat it. This is how he watched his children grow up from far away unable to touch them and unable to be touched. He watched his wife cry, but he was never able to comfort her. And after several years, he started to wish that they wouldn't come anymore, not because he didn't want to see them, but because he didn't want them to see his disfigurement as he lost an ear, fingers, and noses. His face was horribly disfigured. And the Bible tells us that lepers were supposed to dress And be in appearance in a certain way so that everybody knew who they were. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 to verse 46. Listen to how they were supposed to carry themselves. Now, Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46. Now, the leopard on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. So if you were a leper, you were supposed to be dressed in torn rags you couldn't cover your your hair or your head you shall cover your mustache you had to cover yourself like this and cry unclean unclean and he shall be unclean and all the days he has a sore he shall be unclean he is unclean and he shall dwell alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp wow What a sad thing to be separated from your family, from those you love, and not be able to receive their touch. Have you ever been separated from family for a long time? Have you ever longed for a a touch or a hug? You know, FaceTime is great, right? Skype is great. Text messaging is great pictures as great but nothing can replace the touch of a loved one nothing can replace the hug of a of a mother the kiss of a bride the jumping in your arms of a child but you know what it was even worse for this leper Because not only was he separated from those that he loved, but it was worse. In Israel, a leper was not only separated from man, he was also separated from God. He had no access to the city and he was barred from entering the temple sanctuary. Because you see, a leopard in this time was not only considered to be sick, but he was considered to be unclean. There's a difference between being sick and being unclean. He not only had a disease, but he was considered to be spiritually contaminated. Because leprosy was a symbol for sin. And it's actually a really good symbol for sin if you think about it. Think about the effects of leprosy. Why is it so like sin? Let me tell you something about leprosy. It's a dreadful disease, but many people think that leprosy is your skin just rotting away. But that's not actually leprosy. You see, leprosy is when you are unable to feel anything because the disease has damaged your nervous system. So when someone is blind, they cannot see. When someone is deaf, they cannot hear. When someone has leprosy, they cannot feel the infected parts of their bodies go numb and they lose all sensitivity. So, you know, they could be cutting some vegetables and all of a sudden they cut off their finger. They didn't even notice, right? They could be sleeping next to the fire on one of those cold Israelite nights. And all of a sudden, they, you know, they move around too much in bed. And they flip over and they're lying on the fire. And they don't feel anything they could be walking down the road and they could you know step on a sharp stone or in our day step on a on a nail and they would walk around with that nail for a whole day because they wouldn't feel anything and that's how infections would come in when someone has leprosy they cannot feel and what what a what a fitting illustration for sin isn't it because when you sin against God you feel it. You feel it when when you do something wrong the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's wrong. And you feel remorseful, and you feel guilt, and you feel terrible. And that should lead you to your knees to ask forgiveness of Jesus. But if you continue doing that sin, what happens? You stop feeling. Have you have you noticed that for for those of you, and I think we've all struggled maybe with some sins that we've gone a little bit too far sometimes, where you, where you stop feeling it, where at first you felt, this is wrong, I should stop doing it. But then you keep doing it and all of a sudden you don't feel bad anymore. You don't feel guilty anymore. You don't feel remorseful anymore. You don't feel like going on your knees to confess. Sin is like leprosy. It has taken away your ability to feel the damage that you're doing to yourself. And so this leper was separated not only from his family, but he was separated from God. He was not only diseased, but he was unclean. And the Bible tells us. That he understood this. Because when he came to Jesus, listen to the words that he said. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 to 13, our original verse. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man was full of leprosy. And he saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, make me what? Clean. He didn't say, if you're willing, cure me. Because this leper was not only looking for physical healing. He knew that he had bigger problems. He knew that he had a spiritual contamination. So when he came to Jesus, he didn't say, just heal me. He said, make me clean. The leper didn't just ask Jesus to heal him. He asked him to make him clean. And what did Jesus do? Jesus put out his hand, and he, and he touched them. And he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Would you, would you touch a, a leper? Would you touch a leper? If you go to India, where leprosy is kind of prevalent today, you'll you'll see a lot of lepers walking around the city. And it's kind of scary at first because, you know, all we know about leprosy is usually from the Bible, right? And you'll see the American, right, money, money, Right? And they'll come right up to you, like boom, right in your face, and you're like thinking Old Testament, six feet, you know, stand back. You know, what are you doing? And they'll like they'll touch you, and be like, money, money, please help, help. You know, you see nose, you know, disfigured faces, no fingers, and all these type of things. And and for an American, it's kind of terrifying. You want to run the other way and say, What's going on here? But but it's okay, because they discovered the cure for. Leprosy. Now the only problem is they haven't had access to it. But if you were ever to to get it, it would be a simple just treatment and and you wouldn't ever have to suffer, you know, what they suffer. It's just because in that country they don't have access to that type of health care. So people are not really scared of touching someone with leprosy anymore. But in those days it was it was the worst. It was a terrible disease. Would you touch a leper? Not today. I mean, you probably would been scared to touch a leper today. But imagine touching a leper back then. And you know what's weird? Is that if you touch a leper back then, you not only would be maybe getting the disease, but according to Jewish law, you would also be ceremonially unclean. And so why would Jesus touch this man why would Jesus risk becoming spiritually contaminated by touching this unclean man? Why did Jesus not become ceremoniously unclean when he touched him? Everybody else who was clean, who touched an unclean thing, them, they became unclean. So if you went around touching lepers, you were also kicked out of the city. You had to be unclean until you did something. What was that something that made you clean again? Why did Jesus now become unclean? Well, read the next verse. It'll give us a clue in Luke chapter 5 verse 14. After he had healed this leper, the Bible tells us that he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your what? Make an offering or a sacrifice for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded you you see even though this leopard was was completely healed in other words his body looked brand new there was nothing wrong with his body he might have been cured but he was not cleansed in order to get rid of his spiritual contamination that the community of Israel saw went hand in hand with leprosy, he needed to take one more step beyond being healed. He needed to go to church, to the temple, and he needed to offer a sacrifice because he had been cured of his disease of the body, but he needed to be cured of his disease of of sin. The reason... That Jesus did not get contaminated was because that animal that was offered as a sacrifice pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus. So when Jesus touched that leopard, he not only cured him, but the sacrifice also cleansed him. If you touch a leopard... You would become unclean. But if the sacrifice touched a leper, then the leper becomes clean. Now, think about that when it comes to, to stewardship. Are you ready? Trying to make some connections now. Stewardship, what are you talking about? We've been talking about stewardship, and stewardship is an old word. Who uses stewardship? Have you guys guys used stewardship this week in your regular conversations? I'm not talking about your Sabbath school lesson. Who uses the word stewardship? You do? Great. Environmental. Okay, yeah, she's talking about being stewards of the environment, right? But another more common word is a manager, right? Someone gives you something to manage. And so this month we've been talking about stewardship. We've been talking about stewardship. We've been talking about you being managers of something that belongs to God and he has given it to you. we have talking about being managers of God's money. Did you know that all your cars in your pocket and all the money in your pocket are not yours, they're God's. But he's made you managers of that and he asked back a 10% tithe and an offering. But they're his. Now, does he ask for all of it back? No, he only asked for a percentage of that. He has also given you time, life. You are managers of how many years God has given you. They're his years. They're his days and hours. But he asks back. He asked you, the manager, to give him back at least one day out of the week to come and worship here at church, Right? We call that the the Sabbath day. But today I want to talk about another type of management. God wants to take something from you. And he doesn't want you to give him 10%. He doesn't want you to give him one-seventh. There is something you have that God is saying is mine and I want you to give it all to me. I don't want you to hold back anything. Give it all to me. Today, I want to talk as we come to the end about the stewardship or the management of sin. Of what? How are you managing your sin? How are you being a steward of your sin? God says, I want all of it. How much of your sin? All of it. God came to this earth. To the unclean. And he said, I want to take all of it. But some of you have been struggling to give God back his tithe and offering. Some of you have been struggling to give God one day out of the week of worship. But the worst of the worst of the worst is that some of you are struggling to give God all of your sins. Let's jump to another story really quick as we end today here. Luke chapter 8, verse 43 to 48. Another beautiful story in the book of Luke. Another story of healing. Luke chapter 8, verse 43 to 48. Are you there? Listen, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. There was this woman who was bleeding from her private places. She was unclean. Now, if you read the stories in the Bible, you find that everyone who came to Jesus to, came, to be healed came and declared, please help me, I'm a leopard, I'm blind, My daughter's dead. And they publicly proclaim their sin or their problem. But here was the issue for this woman. She wanted to be healed. She wanted to be cleansed. But her problem was so private, so disgusting, so something to be ashamed of. And she wanted to be healed by Jesus, but imagine having that problem. And Jesus is a celebrity now. He's surrounded by, you know, the most popular people in the community, your neighbors, the city mayor, you know, the church leaders of the community. Everybody is there. And you're supposed to come up and tell him, heal me of this. Imagine if you were bleeding and you had to come up and say in front of everybody, do what? Heal me of my my problem. So that was her issue. How is she going to be healed if she can't go tell Jesus, heal me? And so she came up with a solution. What was her solution? I'm not going to ask him to touch me. I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch the master. Verse 44, she came from behind and she touched The border of his garments. Immediately, the flow of her blood stopped. And she was ready to go. She felt that probably charged through her body. She must have felt immediately that she was made whole. And then Jesus messed it all up. (laughs) He asked, who touched me? All of them were looking about like, well, everybody touched you. Or, you know, what are you talking about? They all denied it. And Peter, and those with him said, Master, the multitude throngs and presses you, and you say, touch me. But Jesus said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. Listen, listen. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him. Let's interpret that text. What did she do? She fell before the crowd and she told them all, I have been bleeding from my private parts for 12 years. What do you think? What do you think? Why would God do that? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he ask her to do that? Why would he put her in front of everybody to publicly deca- declare something that's so shameful, something that's so, so hidden? Why would he do that? The Bible tells us that he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in in peace. Jesus wants you to give him all his sin. And the reason he shares stories like this is because many of us come to church here, and we're like, the, we're like that leper, right? We're like, my sins have messed up my family relationships. My leprosy has messed up my relationship with my wife, my husband, my coworkers, my children. In fact, it's messed up my relationship with you, God. I'm like that leper. I can't come close to my family. I can't get close to my church. I've messed things up. I've messed things up. But it, you get to the point where you want to, to be healed. You want to be, be made whole again. And so many of you have been baptized. Many of you have come up here publicly and said, you know what, I want to start my my life new with Jesus. I want to make things new. Jesus has touched you. You've been converted. You've been changed. You've been healed from unclean to clean. And you go back and have relationships with your family and friends that are better. And we think that it's all done and resolved and good. But the Bible tells us, That sin is more than the acts. Sin is of the inside. And I know that even amongst us, there are people here who have sins that are so shameful that you don't even want to utter them. That maybe you've done things, you've seen things, you acted a certain way in private, and it's so shameful that you don't even want to confess it to Jesus And so you're being a bad steward of your sins because you're not giving it all to Jesus. You're keeping some of that to yourself. And you're struggling with it because you're bleeding. You're bleeding. You're dying. But you're so ashamed until you read the story of this woman who came to Jesus with her shameful sin and Jesus was able to... Heal her of that most disgusting, shameful act that maybe you have in your life. What am I getting at this morning? I have noticed that when Christians become Christians, especially for a long time, they stop confessing sins. They stop what? They stop confessing sins. Because you feel like I'm already a Christian, I shouldn't be doing this. This is so shameful. And you try to just slip by the savior and go whoosh, and run away. But Jesus wants you to kneel down before him with faith. Tell him your problem. Confess to him and be and be healed completely. Completely. One of the most powerful experiences in my life was as an associate pastor. Was an associate pastor. The head of our medical work in Guam was a doctor and his wife who were like, kind of like the heads of the community, right? Everybody looked up to them. They were the most spiritual. They were the most missionary-minded. They were the most kind people and, and everything, we had a week of prayer at our church and, and a preacher came and he delivered some powerful appeals. And when the appeal comes for confession of sins, for rebaptism, for for wanting to come and say, "Lord, heal me." You know, we have certain people that we expected, right? Those that were just visiting the church, those that I know are struggling with sin, everybody knows they're struggling with sin. But I remember that night, the first person that stood up was that doctor's wife. A pillar of our spiritual community. And this story rang to my mind of this woman shamefully coming before Jesus, before everybody, and telling, you have healed me of this. There she walked down the aisle, everybody's mouth dropping, are we allowed to do that? Confess our sins after we've been Christians for so long? She walked down with tears in her eyes. She knelt down right here. And she started talking. No one could hear what she was saying. But she was talking to Jesus. And I don't know what she was saying. But I know that she was being touched. And she was touching Jesus. Some of you are holding back from Jesus. Some of you have been walking the Christian walk. But you're still holding on to some sin and, and you feel like, I can't even confess it. I'm so ashamed. I've walked in this Christian walk for so long. I shouldn't even be struggling anymore. But you are. And you're, you've, it's separating you from God. It's separating from your loved ones. And God is just telling you, come, confess your sins and be saved. Jesus wants to grab all that, put it upon himself and make you clean. Make you clean today. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because maybe there's someone here who this story is resonating with. Maybe you have felt that you need a touch of the master or maybe you feel that you have struggled with confessing your sins because you just feel so ashamed. or Maybe you think it's been too long in this Christian walk for you to confess anymore. And I want to encourage you today. If this woman or this man has resonated with your experience, and you no longer want to harden your heart, but you want to say, you know what? Christians should be confessing to Jesus. I need to be cleansed. And there's something in your mind and heart that you need to confess to Jesus. I want to ask you at this moment to get down on your knees where you are. Not everybody, just those who want to confess to Jesus. To get down on your knees where you are. And right there where you are, start speaking to him. Don't let me hear. But from your heart, let him hear what you have to say to him. Let him hear the words that you've been holding back in your heart. You've been ashamed. You've been embarrassed. But no more. Jesus says, give it all. All your sins to me. As you go down on your knees, release the burden of sin. Release the burdens of your heart, and feel the loving touch of Jesus as he holds your hand, as he hugs you, as he pulls you in closer, and he tells you, no matter how terrible your sin, it can never make me unclean because I died to save you. I died to cleanse you. Lord, look at all these people on their knees. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the gift of confession. Thank you that no matter how much we have disappointed you, no matter how much we have done against you, no matter that we have been ashamed that we could get down on our knees, be touched by you and touch you And be made whole again. Friend, are you sitting down? Are you struggling to get down on your knees? Are you struggling to submit yourself to Jesus? Is it that hard to kneel before the cross and say, Jesus, take my sins, I'll take your blood? Don't resist Jesus, friends. If this is you, if you're holding on to something, get down on your knees and pray to Jesus. Confess your sins to him. And he will make you whole. Today. Right now. Before you leave. Leave that sin. Leave that burden right here. Right now. Don't take it home. Don't take it to your family. Don't take it to your work. Don't take it. Let Jesus take it. Be a good manager of your sins. Give them all. Give them all. Give them all. Jesus, This I pray in the powerful, wonderful, gracious, and good name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is not ashamed to call us brother, sister, and to hug us when we need it, and to touch us when we really need it. In the name of Jesus we say, amen. Amen.